Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan Jehuraja and Babak Hayeri. Welcome back, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we go deep into the season's contenders for the college football playoff. I'm Bob Akhayeri, and I'm joined, as always, by Shahan Jehiraja, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it feels good to be in the always together category. We're in episode two, and, uh, you know, we're feeling good. We're feeling good. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to kind of go through some of these interesting contenders that are on the outliers. It's been fun to see how people have been voting on Twitter. Again, if you'd like to check us out, it's at CFB Survivor Show. If you'd like to participate in some of the polling and some of the discussion we're having, we always enjoy hearing from you. But before we dive into kind of the meat and potatoes of some of these teams, there's been some stories going around right now, and one of which is Michigan and what's been going on with, I don't know what to call it, a rogue staffer or a, a staffer on behalf who's been kind of operating on the QT. What do you what do you make of this? I mean, because Michigan is a serious playoff contender. We agreed. We pretty much unanimously started with them last week. At this point, the question is, do we see this coming into play with the playoff? It's a great question. So for this season, I don't think it'll ultimately matter in terms of actual NCAA punishment or anything like that. Where it could come into play is just being a distraction. I mean, obviously, Jim Harbaugh missed the first three games of the year because of a self-imposed punishment. Uh, dating back to a previous NCAA investigation, now, of course, they're embroiled in another one. And the piece that's going to be very interesting as we get past the season is going to be, well, do some of these things converge? Does the NCAA look and say, well, Jim Harbaugh, first you cheated in this way, now you cheated in this way, and we're going to come down on Michigan and on Jim Harbaugh in a different kind of way? I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. Certainly with Jim Harbaugh specifically, you can't ignore the factor of well, maybe he's just going to go take the Chicago Bears job next week. Maybe he's going to go you know, take the, the Las Vegas Raiders job in a couple of weeks. And so I do think that it creates an interesting dynamic for Michigan right now, because I think that one way or another, this is going to be like a last ride of sorts, whether it is because NCAA punishments are coming, whether it is because of just everything swirling around the program. And also, by the way, because of J.J. McCarthy being potentially in his final year in the program, this is the year. There is no more pressure, I think, on Michigan than there's ever been than in this year. So I think it makes for a really fascinating dynamic, though, again, I don't think it's actually going to impact in terms of NCAA punishment, their time on the field this year. I think um, I agree with you on that. And the thing to me that is remarkable is all the pressure on this program, as you pointed out, and they went and still cleaned the clock of Michigan State. I mean, I think to an extent that wasn't even was beyond what I think people expected heading into that game if you weren't bleeding maize and blue. 
the funny thing is with Connor Stallions, this this supposed Stafford rogue, I mean Stafford, but supposedly rogue Stafford, depending on who you talk to. Um, and I keep wanting to say Connor two Stallions. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> he's on paid leave. And I thought if he's not doing anything and he's so good at this, could we maybe get him to, to give us a scoop on the CFB committee? Like get him. Of course, knowing him, he would book a room in his own name at the hotel and then like hand it off to somebody and hope no one noticed his name was on it. So who knows? I mean, the more I've read about the guy, I haven't read his manifesto because gosh knows if you're a Michigan alum calling something a manifesto isn't always the greatest like reference you want to make. But we'll set that one aside. But um, I'm absolutely <laughs> maybe he could be our, our scoop. He could like be under the table in the room and just typing out messages, uh, tweeting messages to us or texting messages to us that we can then say, well, here's give an extra scoop on the CFB playoff committee. But uh, <laughs> and, and the other part of this, too, is that it'll be really easy for our employer because they just have to Venmo him. They don't even have to file any uh, paperwork <laughs> or anything. They don't have to direct deposit. He's got the Venmo up and active, man. No, it's just put it's, an OK sign. Just put an OK <laughs> sign and you're good to go. There you go. Oh, my goodness. The thing is, you know, just to talk briefly about the actual scandal itself, right? Like, it's obviously serious from the perspective of it's impacting on-field play. It's impacting integrity of competition. But I think what's making this such a big story is just how intricate it was, right? The the amount of steps, the amount of people. Like you said, I, I mean, obviously, Jim Harbaugh is going to step back and say, oh, well, I, I didn't know... Come on. The idea that somebody stealing signs of an opponent, by the way, using Michigan staffers to make it happen, that the head coach wouldn't have any idea or shouldn't have any idea about what's going on is just an insane thing for me to say. Now, again, I've certainly been around enough big organizations to know uh, how plausible deniability works and what you do to make that happen, especially for the most powerful people in your organization. This might be another podcast, but. I do think that ultimately, uh, again, that's what that's what makes it stand out is just the amount of steps, the amount of money involved with all the amount of tickets that they had to buy, all the amount of people they had to send out, the amount of places that they went. We've heard so far that uh, I believe all 13 of the other Big Ten schools at this point have record of Connor Stallions buying tickets there along with places like, uh, I, I believe, Oregon at this point, Tennessee, Alabama. Like, it is crazy the levels that they went to. And and the reality is we can have a conversation about how significant and how helpful it actually is to do this. But at the end of the day, Michigan has gone to these lengths to make it happen. So clearly they think it helped a little bit. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. And I mean, Richard, uh, um, Richard Johnson over at the uh, SI had an article that came out on the day we're, we're recording this about how detailed Connor Stallion's work was to the point where he almost seems like an extreme super fan. Like some, there's been movies about like, you know, this character. Um, and yeah, he's got apparently a five to 600 page manifesto that I was re- referencing earlier in a Google doc. I actually, it was supposedly to every possible plan for Michigan is what he was describing it in text. I want to get that and I want to upload it into an AI and just see if we can then get get you know Bing to become uh, a super coach administrator, or would it just end up turning on us like Skynet? I'm not sure, but yeah, that's been that's been a whole interesting side story, and and being one of the top teams, if not the top team in the country right now, under all that pressure, my goodness, this has just added a whole 
layer of flavor and interest to the rich tapestry of college football. Boy, am I mixing metaphors there. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, moving a little bit forward to um, next week, we're going to get the initial college football playoff rankings on Halloween, no less. So maybe they'll be they'll be dressed in in some, you know, scary costume for a few teams once they see where they're placed. We should have that show next Tuesday in anticipation just ahead of the time. And on Wednesday, we'll have our reactions. Um, but it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be talking, I think, about which teams are too high, which teams are too low, which teams are just right. I don't know. Do we call it like a Goldilock or a Goldilocks? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'm done with that. I think that that's a, a perfect way to look at it. You know, the thing that I always and well, again, like you mentioned on the Tuesday show next week, we'll have an opportunity to address it a little bit further. But I always have a really close eye on how they set up the latter part of the top 25, because it's easy to look at one through five, one through 10 and kind of get an idea of how they view the teams. But Usually with those last couple of spots, they're setting something up. I think back to 2014, because of course I do, as, as a Baylor graduate. Uh, and I remember Minnesota constantly sat at number 25 in the rankings. And when you looked up, it was like, oh, TCU and Ohio State both have a quote-unquote ranked victory because Minnesota's in there at 25. It helps set up the way that they wanted to do things. And so... I do think that the first rankings uh, always are a little bit more interesting for that reason. I did actually look back. I had, <laughs> I had a tweet last year at the rankings, and I said, man, every year I think that uh, this will be the rankings that won't make me mad, and somehow I'm always mad. And so I can't wait to see what way that is this time. <laughs> well, that's going to be next week. I think um, in a moment we'll come back and talk a little bit about some of the other contenders in the college football playoff race, not the ones, the, the real locks that we talked about last week, the undefeated plus, you know, your your Alabama, one loss Alabama, your one loss Oregon. So I think we'll have a discussion of that when we come back. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back from the break, and we're going to go ahead and get right into it. So people who have followed the show for a while will know, again, we come in, we give a one-minute affirmative case for some of our candidates. We give a one-minute against case. We picked several teams to this point that we felt like were relatively unanimous picks. These are going to be the ones that are just a little bit more controversial at this point. And so we're going to start with 6-1 and one Ole Miss Bobic, why don't you get us started with the affirmative case? I'll make the against. Oh, boy, you're asking the lawyer to make a case. No, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ole Miss, you know, okay, I will acknowledge they've had a, a big flop of a game, and that was against Bama. But it seemed worse at the time because Bama had just come off of the loss to Texas and that odd multi-quarterback game against South Florida. 
it was a little bit more embarrassing because Lane, of course, decided to throw some of the shade that he's known for uh, at Nick Saban and the tide ahead of the game. But it was early in the season. Saban now has Alabama looking strong again last season. Bama's loss was immediately followed. I mean, when Old Miss's loss to Bama was immediately followed by three more to end the season. Then they won a firefight with an LSU team that, as we're going to talk about later, looks pretty decent. And I think that was an important turning point for this program. They've shown, as they did with LSU, that they can finish games. They did with a rally against LSU. They did that again against Auburn this past weekend. The strength is their offense. Jackson Dart, as a quarterback, has improved. He did well against Auburn. They have some solid wide receivers there. Trey Harris, Dane Wade, Jordan Watkins. They have a good tight end with Caden Prescorn. Uh, uh, um, they've got Quinshawn Judkins, who had started a little slow, but he's now, again, he's had a couple of 100-yard games. He's looking to what we saw last season when he was just an impressive freshman. So outside of that wild LSU game, the defense itself also hasn't been all that bad. They stepped up against Tulane and Arkansas. Now, both of those teams had offensive caveats. Arkansas just hasn't looked all that great, and obviously Tulane was missing their star QB, but they stepped up again in that loss with Bama. And again, it was a loss, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Their front seven hasn't been bad. Their tackling has been maybe one of their weaker spots, but it can be made up for with the strength of that offense. Their schedule looks like one that can build them up. If they can win out, I mean, they got a game with Vandy and AM at home, but if they can go on the road and defeat Georgia, and it's a Georgia team that looks strong, but not the strongest, I think finishing out with ULM and the Egg Bowl, they could get out there and they would suddenly be an SEC team with one loss, and I think if your only loss was to Bama, that's honestly not a bad thing because we can ask Georgia what it's like when your only loss was to Bama. You could still win a national championship. So here's the deal. In 2009, Lane Kiffin became head coach at Tennessee. Since then, he's played 20 games against teams that went on to win at least nine games. He is 1-19 in those games, now, we'll have to see. Maybe LSU can give him a second one of these after he survived a bizarre game that really Ole Miss probably should not have won. But over the last two weeks, one score win against Arkansas, who's terrible. One score win against Auburn, who's terrible. And that's their resume. They're, they're, the best part of their resume is losing to Alabama. Maybe, you know, again, that LSU game kind of coming down the way it did. LSU, to us, not at this point a college football playoff contender. And that's the case. Right. So, I mean, this is an Ole Miss team that has not played well against the best of college football. They do, like you mentioned, get Georgia on the road in a couple of weeks. And by the way, if they're going to make the playoff, they have to beat Georgia a second time. So to me, that is not a case for a college football playoff contender. Well, I we will see. I think if they can win out, I, 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 the, I, it'll be fascinating to see if they start rolling. What Lane Kiffin's going to be like on social media is because I, I think he's waiting for that opportunity to really unleash when he gets cocky like he did against Bama. Granted, it burned. <laughs> it did not work out well. <laughs> but imagine, imagine what we would get if he manages to beat Georgia. I can't. It all bets are going to be off. It is going to be it's going to be a fun time watching, <laughs> watching the uh, watching how Ole Miss handles that but we'll see we'll see it's going to be georgia i think that game at georgia that's going to be a moment that's going to be a defining point in their season absolutely with the, with that said bobby would you vote for them to be in our playoff conversation right now 
I would wait until the Georgia game. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we did bring this, as usual, to the people. We put this out on our Twitter poll, slash X poll. I don't know what we're calling it now. CFB Survivor Show. And the people were not favorable. 72% voted against Ole Miss. So that's two no votes. They're out of here. We're not talking about you. Like you said, they're going to have a chance to play their way back in. But this, to me, is a team that needs to play their way back in. Again, like you said, if they beat Georgia, then they deserve to be in. But, like, so, I mean, I don't know. If Vanderbilt beats Georgia, then, like, cool, they'll make yeah. a bowl. I don't know. Like, you can't <laughs> Easier just, said you, than done. Yeah. Right. Easier <laughs> said than done. And so, for now, Ole Miss out of our rankings. All right. So, where are we going next? Texas. And I think you are going to make the case for Texas. All right. Well, as we know, I am a big Texas homer on the program. Uh, Bobby, that is a joke for uh, if you haven't listened to all of our previous episodes. But this Texas team is a different animal than what we've seen in previous years. They've got legitimate NFL talent. Quinn Ewers at quarterback, obviously going to be out for a few weeks, but still Malik Murphy, I think, somebody who has an NFL future as well. Uh, they've got maybe the best running back in the country right now and Jonathan Brooks. They've got, with Brock Bowers out, maybe the best tight end in the country and Jatavian Sanders. Jalen Ford at linebackers, one of the best in the country at his position. Uh, Tavondre Sweat has been talked about as a first-round pick. So talent-wise, this is, you know, we talk about Texas talent all the time, but this is fully formed talent. This is legitimate NFL talent that we've got for Texas uh, in this group. You know, they've pulled away from... Almost every team that they've played this year, they, they got into a little bit of a squirrely game against Houston, but you know that's a big-time rivalry game as well for Houston. And you look at that game versus Oklahoma, if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't you know trip over his own feet, then they end up winning that game. And so this is a team that has one of the best wins in the country with a road win against Alabama. They have played at that level for almost the entire season. Their only loss, like I mentioned, was a really well-played game against one of the teams that's in our contender group. And so uh, that's the case for them to to be there. Now, the, the latter half of their schedule with Malik Murphy is going to present some, some interesting challenges, but if they make it through with one loss, no question about it. They're in the college football playoff. And I think that you, we basically are going to center a lot of this conversation on how well Malik Murphy does stepping in for Queen Ewers. Because Queen Ewers had some great talent, and he's got that sprained AC joint. It's week to week. We'll see how long that lasts. But as long as he's not there... That's where I think the weakness is going to lie for Texas because they had a lead on Houston and it got away from them. And Houston nearly came back. And that was that was an exciting game and it was somewhat controversial at the end and, and definitely a lot of tension at the end. But Malik Murphy now, he's going to be put into the spotlight, the spotlight and the pressure of being the quarterback at Texas. And, and I'm sure a lot of that he can handle. I mean, he was one of the very first Sarkeesian commit uh, uh, quarterback commits and I know that was a big deal when he got in he's been a little overshadowed by yours and of course Arch Manning who I'm doubting they're going to go with unless things get truly desperate if, if we're seeing him in a game then we're I don't, I'm not even sure they're going to be at a contender anymore I think something when they may have gone off the rails um, but I think we're going to see how that works out and I think you know there maybe does that mean they're going to be more run heavy they certainly have talent I agree Jonathan Brooks uh, C.J. Baxter stepped up in that last game, too, as, a, as just a stud five-star recruit who's turned out to be showing what, he, what they recruited him for. And, and Murphy himself is the ability to be on his feet. He's got good targets, I agree. But I think the, what, boils it, what it boils down to 
is can Texas maintain that level without someone in the in the quarterback seat with the talent of Queen Ewers and the experience of Queen Ewers. Now, BYU doesn't look as strong as they have been in the past, and you're not playing them at night in Provo, which is where they're absolutely dangerous. There was a whole side comment on RCFB that they're really vampires because they, they seem to succeed anytime it's nighttime. But K-State is looking like they're getting their season together. That's going to be a very interesting opponent. I, I think K-State has an opportunity to unseat them. TCU, I will acknowledge, isn't the strongest this season, but then they have a late game at Iowa State, which has never been friendly for Texas. Texas Tech, they've been a disappointment overall this season, but it's still a rivalry game as well. And then can they even take, I mean, assuming they make it through that, can they then beat presumably Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship game? I think those are, that's a tougher order without, Quinn Ewers. I think had Quinn Ewers been healthy, I would be a little bit more, a little bit more bullish on them. And I'm not sure, you know, potentially coaching mistakes. I know Sarkeesian kind of regrets that fake field goal that that seemed to spur Houston in uh, actually getting that that near near comeback. Um, I think watching that game is going to put a lot of extra drive into some of the remaining Big Twelve opponents who would like nothing more than to send the Longhorns off with another loss to remember them by. Um, but, of course, you know, Texas came out strong against Houston. They kept that intensity up with Bama for the entire game. I just wonder if they're maybe going to be this is the this is the spot you've got them where they're going to be at their weakest, and especially if K-State gets a chance at them without Ewers. I think that may be their opportunity to, to knock them off. All I all I kept thinking about with K State kind of finding potentially finding themselves later off in the season is how much I'm looking forward to next season when they could you know we could be talking about well who's that third team is it with a third Big Twelve team or a second Big Twelve team have that opportunity to get in that large bid but we'll save that for next year we'll save that for next season but I think Texas I I am more hesitant now and with that injury I think this is this may be not this could end up not being their year. All right. So with that said, Bubik. What's your vote? <sighs> I'm not going to vote them in right now. I'm going to wait to see how they do with a few games without yours. Okay. I'm going to vote yes. I think that Texas, to this point, has been one of clearly the most talented teams in the country. If I had to guess, I do think they probably drop another one and play themselves out. But I think at this point, they've played themselves in. And so I would have them in. And this takes us to, I believe, our closest poll of wow. the day and i got to tell you that the x users are kind of haters man they're kind of haters this is a remarkable poll point three percent of voters say no so texas remains just on the outside looking in now now here's my question obviously we're going to have opportunities to reevaluate this team is there a point when you look at their schedule ahead where you do feel like if they win this one, then they are definitely in? Or uh, conversely, is there a game that maybe they get voted in ahead of so we have a chance to talk about that game? I think K-State. K-State's going to be it. If, if, they can, if they can defeat K-State, I, I would be very much thinking that they should be able to roll through TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. All right. Well, there you go. Another team left out. We are still only at eight teams. For people, if you don't remember, Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, 
Alabama, Oregon. We're at eight so far. We max out at 12. We, we're going to evaluate again. Several more on the list. Wait, wait. I, I just have to, Sean, I have to interrupt one second. I actually did the math. It was a one vote difference. Like the, the percentage was, it was, it was 85 to 84. That oh is literally gosh. what it came. If you don't believe your vote matters on our Twitter account. Stay in line. One of you, one of you single-handedly was the tiebreaker on wow. whether or not Texas is in our discussion next week. So you, you can make a difference. No one tell the AM fans that because they will absolutely make sure Texas never wins another poll ever again. Because they're the it, king of the polls. Nebraska just, and AM. You get those two interested in, in polling anything. Good luck. Um, but uh <laughs> Yeah. Harris County voters, man, stay in line. Your vote counts. Your vote will matter. So. Wow. That is so, remarkable. Wow. That, that is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> Let's move on to our third team, though, in, in this group. So we kind of separated things out into like the ones who are right on the cusp. And then we have a couple more that are a little more dark horse picks. But our third one of, I guess we'd call them the, the sort of second level contenders. Penn State, which I think it's fair to say before last week, no brainer would have been in this group. So, Bobak, you go first. You give yeah, us the affirmative. You know, case. this is an interesting one because I enjoyed taking the, the pro for Penn State because I really, I, it, can I look past what just occurred this past weekend? And I know Penn State fans are having a lot of trouble looking past what happened this past weekend. And I, my thought was, are we putting too much into that one game? Did an off performance by their offense and Aller admitted he, he quote, sucked um, <laughs> against a defense that was as strong as their own defense because the Penn State defense was great. The only difference there was Marvin Harrison happened to be playing for the Buckeyes. But did that, what might have been an off day for an offense against an incredible defense, make it look worse than they might have been? And we know they only had one third down conversion and it was at the end of the game. You know, granted, it was it was an absolute egg. But the defense was still great and you, relying on a single player like a Marvin Harrison doesn't always work. Sometimes you can have Caleb Williams, he has an off day, and suddenly your team goes off the rails. So maybe Marvin Harrison that had a bad day in the game would have gone, it would have been even closer. I'm not sure. Can they turn it around? I think they can. Their next games are Indiana and at Maryland. They're going to, I think, truly have a puncher's chance with Michigan because they are going to be the Wolverines' first test. We haven't really seen Michigan play for all the people out there who have been harping about the Michigan schedule that's led them to this point. And granted, they've been consistent. Penn State's going to be the first genuine challenge for them in that. And if they can manage to beat the Wolverines, they'll have Rutgers and Michigan State headed into who knows what. What if then Michigan goes and beats Ohio State? Does Penn State then have a shot? I mean, if Penn State's only losses to Ohio State in a fairly close game, as time fades the details of the game, will they just say, well, it was an offensive tough night there? Um, they Would they have a viable chance of being at large bit of the playoff? I think the Nittany Lions especially would benefit from an expanded playoff, but I think, frankly, they could make it in. And again, all it's so funny too because everyone's like, oh, Franklin didn't do it again. He, he, he didn't win on the road against a top 10 team. He's had such... 
a low win rate against top 10 teams. Well, that isn't the only coach who's had that sort of a situation where over time they do develop into that coach. Bobby Bowden, if you look at his history, like he had lots of great victories in the in the in the early decade coaching pen, pardon me, uh, Florida State. And then eventually he reached that point where the, the Seminoles started to become the team we knew in the 90s. I mean, if you really want to just set aside the, the whole controversy at the end of his tenure, Joe Paterno was like that. You know, he was always consistently winning a lot of games. And then every once in a while, he would win that national championship. So I think is is Franklin developing into that? But because he lost this one game, everyone just remembers what's been going on in the previous seasons. And we don't realize like it might have just been an off night. For that reason, I'm willing to see where they would go. And I think Penn State could play themselves back in if they can rally around and kind of get the offense back on track because the defense is still stellar for them. Here's the issue for me is that this wasn't the first game that Penn State played against a top-level defense. It was actually the second. And they played against Iowa, and the scoreboard looks great. 31-0. to zero. Fantastic. You dig a little closer into those numbers. They averaged 4.1 yards per play against that Iowa defense. And their quarterback threw for 166 yards. So this isn't the first indicator that maybe this Penn State offense will have issues when they play against better competition. To me, the two most concerning things about the Ohio State game were, one, obviously I I think you have to look at what Drew Aller, you know, the way that he struggled against that pressure. But the other part, too, was that Penn State's offensive line, which we felt like was going to be a pretty good unit, couldn't block anybody. They could not block Ohio State's front. Now, Ohio State has a very good front, but you know who has a really, really good front? Michigan. And so the pathway is obvious. They just have to win at home against Michigan. And they'll put themselves in an 11-1 conversation. Then it'll come down to tiebreakers. And who knows what happens from there. And also, by the way, if you've got three 11-1 teams in the Big Ten, like, I don't know, multiple of them could make the college football playoff. But nothing that we've seen to this point gives me the indication that this offense has any ability to figure things out against a team like Michigan. And for that reason, I just can't seriously take them as a a potential college football playoff contender. In the Big Ten, great. You know, you have an opportunity to beat Northwestern and beat Indiana and beat Michigan State. But there are only two teams that if you're Penn State at this point, you're measuring yourself against, and that's Ohio State and Michigan, and they have been unable to win this game. It's funny that you bring up, obviously, Joe Paterno and those old Penn State teams, because one of the things that changed when they stopped winning national championships was they joined a conference, and they had to go through Ohio State and Michigan. And as soon as that started happening, they stopped winning national championships. Now, Again, that is a that is an existential conversation for another day that also might be helped by the fact that obviously we're expanding the college football playoff. But for a 14 playoff where you have to go through and most likely win the Big Ten, I just can't see them getting past Michigan. I'm going to have to agree with you. I honestly can't see them getting <laughs> past Michigan at this, but they could. I wouldn't be totally shocked, but at this point, I need to see a completely different team emerge um, next, starting in the next couple of weeks. At least they get Michigan at home. And the other thing, too, is that they play Maryland on the road November 4th. If they have a great performance against Maryland, I think that maybe we could have them in the conversation heading into game week against Michigan. Because we want to preview that game, of course, in in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So this is, I mean, Penn State is living at the intersection of, you know, being maybe like the eighth best team in the country and being in a conference with two of the top four. and. 
again, it's going to be something that helps them out a lot when they're able to potentially make a 12-team playoff. But their pathway, it's just hard to see it there right now. And so for that reason, I'm going to vote against as well. The the voters on X also agreed with us. 65.2% voted against for Penn State. They'll have another case to get in, I think, very soon. But not now. Not now. We're going to close it out, our first group of teams, with a team that, this is a weird team, isn't it? Because absolutely, they, they both are probably not getting enough respect. And also, it's just hard to understand how this is happening, but it continues to happen. We're going with the Utah Utes. And I'll make the pro case. Bobby, you'll make the against case. The pro case is this. They've won two straight Pac-12 championships. And they look like they once again might be one of the best teams in a Pac-12 that features multiple clear playoff contenders, including Washington and Oregon, who are already in our top group. And uh, Oregon State should be there, but whatever. So, so far this season, they beat UCLA at home 14-7. to They beat USC this past week because their quarterback, Bryson Barnes, uh, you know, a pig farmer from southern Utah, managed to outduel the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and uh, made a huge play to set up a game-winning field goal. Their only loss so far was on the road against Oregon State. They got a little too cute, you know, trying to go with Nate Johnson. Um, but, you know, since they've since they've kind of recommitted themselves to Bryson Barnes as their primary number one, they've been dang near unbeatable. And I think that you look down the rest of the schedule. I mean, they've got Oregon this upcoming week. I, obviously, that's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, you know, they've got Washington on the road the week after that. That's going to be a big game. But this is a Utah team that, you know, for all the stuff that we said about Oregon being able to push around softer teams like USC, I mean, that's Utah's deal. They're not going to be intimidated by what Oregon does this upcoming week. So it's a tough path because they do have to beat both Oregon and Washington. But at this point, I think that they've proven that you can't count them out. Yeah, I think my my hesitation with Utah and and the crux of my argument, which I think you touched on, is how strange they are right now. Because they've got so many guys down. Cam Rising hadn't played, and they finally said he's just not coming back, unfortunately. And that's a tragic thing, because he's a great player, but that injury he suffered in the Rose Bowl last year was, was bigger than, than I think was initially reported. And nothing against our uh, Bryson Pick Farmer uh, Barnes. I mean, he's he's a decent quarterback, and he put together a great, you know, great offense there. But he... You know, I, I'm not sure he can you, having that kind of a, a quality of a quarterback is something that is and is both tangible and intangible for the team. Because as as you've said, they've switched between Barnes, they switched between Johnson. Now they've seemed to have stuck to Barnes. They also lost their best tight end, uh, Brant Keithy, who was a major part of the offense. I mean, last year, the one he replaced, Dalton Kincaid, was absolutely a terror for uh for people along the the Pac-12 not to mention USC especially. Um and I mean again, Whittingham is doing an absolutely solid job of coaching this team through. I mean, Siani Vaki being moved from safety into a dual role as a running back seems to have really gotten their offense going as well, but I'm just not sure this kind of patchwork keeping this thing rolling through the season will be able to last and make them a playoff contender in the national championship team. I mean, we're watching a team kind of stumble their way forward and manage to claw out wins, especially this fresh after TCU's run last year, goes in a direction where it feels like they're going to eventually reach one of those real playoff contenders and absolutely get crushed. Now, I think you touched, you hit the nail on the head. You know, 
they, this weekend, we're going to get a real good idea because Oregon is not USC. They actually have a solid defense. Bo Nix has, I think, more support all around him overall. The Ducks played better. And some people have said the Ducks played better than the Huskies in that loss. So I think that game is going to be a big decider as well as the fact that they're going to have to play at Washington. And then I don't want to disregard the Arizona teams because Arizona State, I, I agree with the statement I've read elsewhere. They're like the scariest one-win one team out there. I mean, what they did Washington were a pick six and a, uh, a waved-off uh, uh, penalty for an absolutely blatant hold. I mean, Washington had to have some magic to get past them, and I'm not sure that's going to be something Utah can do against both of those teams. And then finally, the, wouldn't that be the, the ultimate finale if Utah somehow makes it through all of that? And then Deion Sanders just reminds us that he's at Colorado and <laughs> wins the Rumble in the Rockies just to kind of knock them off. So I think that, that path, all, all of those games, have that potential for a Utah loss in some way that we can't fathom. And just the sheer patchwork of keeping, again, I the thing is, win or lose, Kyle Whittingham is absolutely a phenomenal coach, hands down. But at the same time, I'm not sure this, this Utah magic can make it all the way through. Although I kind of want to see it make all, like, it's kind of funny. It's that push-pull. My brain says, I don't think this is going to work. My heart says, please work. This would be a spectacular way to finish their uh, their Pac-12 run before they head over to the Big 12. But those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think that for Utah's sake, it really would have helped to not lose that Oregon State game. And Oregon State's really good. Like, Oregon State, again, I, I made the case on the first show. I think that they are a legitimate college football playoff contender, but the issue for Utah is that they play three of those teams on this schedule. They play Oregon this week, like we mentioned, and at Washington. And I think what's going to be most interesting is... Let's say that there's a hypothetical world where Utah loses on the road at Washington, beats Oregon, gets Washington again in the Pac-12 title game, beats them, goes 11 and two with wins over that many good teams. You know, how do people look at it? I, I don't think it would be enough to get in, but that's kind of what they've done the past couple of years, right? I mean, that's how they've won two Pac-12 titles. But I think that when you win two consecutive Pac-12 titles, when you beat USC the way that you did, when you beat UCLA, I think that they have enough to make things happen. So I'm going to say yes. I think that Utah deserves to be on our list. I feel like I am the absolute doom and gloom guy. But at the good news is I get outvoted this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to you, our listeners, our wise listeners, who with one vote struck Texas off the map. But uh, <laughs> you have also. Save the Utah Utes. So with a vote of two to one, Utah, you're still in the conversation. 54.9% ultimately gets Utah over the line. So we are up to nine teams, including, by the way, three from the Pac-12. How about that? And this final year of uh, whatever we want to call it, this uh, you know legacy Pac-12 or whatever, whatever it is. But uh, Oregon, Washington, and Utah all on the list. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about some other wacky teams in a moment. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. And we are back here on the College Football Survivor Show. 
now we're on to the dark horse picks. We only got one from our top four in in Utah, Penn State, Texas, Ole Miss, all getting outvoted, all not making the list at this point. But this is where things get a little weird. And we're going to start in the ACC with one other one-loss team. You know, one other team that maybe we should have considered was North Carolina. We did not include them this week. Uh, I think that everybody has a bad taste in their mouth because of the Virginia loss. But we're going to start with Louisville, who obviously at this point has a win over Notre Dame. They are 6-1. and one. They have a pathway. So, Bobby, can you kind of take us through their case? Yeah, so... When we last saw our heroes, or however you want to phrase them, they, they had just lost to Pitt heading into what has now been a bye week. But they they may have won the bye week. But we'll, let's get to the second there. So I just want to be clear. Against Pitt, they were mostly without their star running back. Uh, Jawar Jordan had been injured uh, during the game, and, and he was very limited uh, in terms of his play. And they were forced into some turnovers, which which has happened before with Jake Plummer, the uh, uh, peripatetic QB by way of Purdue and Cal. But you know, let's let's see how they come out of that bye because they they have some offensive talent. They clearly could play their way back. And I say they won the bye because Duke and North Carolina both lost, and that opens up a way for them to to make a serious uh, to make some serious headway because. They're going to play number 20 Duke. That is going to be an absolute decider for who in the ACC has any chance of even climbing back up into possibly getting into the ACC title game. Virginia Tech and UVA. Well, now UVA, I guess, you know, you can't totally write them off. And and Virginia Tech, you know, has has shown some serious weakness this season, but they haven't been completely pushovers. Then they play at Miami. And that, again, could be a potentially interesting game if if the Hurricanes continue to show some resilience here in the latter half of the season. They get their rivalry with Kentucky. That's always a fun game. And then imagine if they do play their way towards the ACC championship game against presumably Florida State. That could be a potentially interesting game. And we'll, we'll see if that maybe gives them that opportunity to make their way if they were to somehow win out and have that only loss being that oddball game with Pitt. That would be perhaps the way they could make it. I think... I mean, I've noticed in some of the newer projections, they're certainly now a contender for the New Year's Six. Some have put them in the Orange Bowl. Uh, but I I think that path, if they were to win out, might give them a shot at doing even better. So, I mean, I, I guess here's my question with Louisville, is when you look at their schedule, right, they've got a 13-10 win over NC State. That's kind of eh. Indiana, 21-14. It's a 6-1 start. It is. And they beat Notre Dame, who obviously I think is only starting to look better and better as the season goes on. But versus Duke this week, if they were to hypothetically win that game, I don't know if Duke gets back into the rankings by the end of the year. At Miami, I think would probably be considered a pretty good win by the end of the year. And then you get Florida State, you get Kentucky, obviously at home in the rivalry game. Is a 12-1 Louisville, like, like what are the percentages that they get into the field? Because I think that that's going to be one of the weirdest questions for them is, is that enough with, with the schedule that they had this year? Yeah, I think that that is one of the weirder things. They are a team that would almost seem like they would need help. Even if they won out, it seems like we need, even if they beat Florida State, assuming Florida State goes in undefeated, would they still need help? It, it, it's a weird question because, again, they wouldn't have had a terrible run. I mean, if they beat Notre Dame, if they if they beat some of these teams... It would be a strange thing to say, okay, ACC champ, sorry, not enough, um, which will create that 
delightful controversy that will be a perfect lead into next season's expanded playoff. But for the purposes of this year, boy, yeah, they might need a little help. Yeah, I, I think that for me, I'm willing to wait for them w- until they play Duke this week. If they beat Duke, I think that next week I would vote them in. At this point, I don't think I would. And between me and the voters going 72% against, uh, that's the answer. I And I agree. I, I wouldn't vote them in at this point. Either. Okay. So yeah, they're, they're 0-3 for this, but that's why they're a dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a couple of two-loss teams to consider. And obviously at this point, no two-loss team has ever made the college football playoff. The only team that I think really had a chance to do it was, uh, I believe it was Auburn back in 2017, who if they had beaten Georgia, then they would have had wins over both Alabama and Georgia, who both made the playoff that year. And that's the kind of case that I think you need to make in order to make the college football playoff with two losses in in a four-team world. Obviously, in in a 12-team world, there will be difference. So Notre Dame is the first one, and I'll make that case. So... The upside is, I mean, they not only could have, but probably should have beaten Ohio State. And Ohio State is a team that we consider a top three team in the country. Many people have voted number one in the country. They crushed USC this past week uh, or or two weeks ago. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. Uh, Their one loss was on the road against Louisville. And it's just one of those games that they kind of lost control of. They did beat Duke the week before that. NC State, you know, that, that maybe felt like a more impressive victory than it ended up being. And they get Clemson on the road. They they get, you know, I mean, well, <laughs> after that, it's a, it's, a, it's a little less impressive with the way that Pitt, Wake Forest, and Stanford have played this year. But you still have one more game on the road against Clemson that I think people will respect. The issue for them is I don't think they have enough to make up for their losses. If they were a two-loss team with a win over Ohio State, maybe we're talking about it a little differently. But it, it's just hard to see that. I mean, that Louisville game will be one that Sam Hartman will remember for a long, long time. The fact that it potentially costs him a shot to play in the college football playoff. Because again, if they're an 11-1 team with the schedule, I think that that's enough to get in. But three interceptions in that game. I remember some Louisville fans were tweeting, man, feels like Sam Hartman is right back at Wake Forest feeling good. you know, Because obviously <laughs> he had some issues against Louisville in years past as well. And so yeah, it's just hard to imagine that they can overcome that. Yeah, you know, and it was interesting, too, because Sam Hartman, sure, they beat USC, but he actually wasn't the big factor in that game. Right, it was more right. Caleb Williams throwing his own three interceptions. Um, and and I think part of the interesting thing with Notre Dame's resume at this point, you know, beating Duke seemed a lot more impressive at the time. And now Duke has lost again, as we know, like to Florida State. It's not a huge, you sure. know, not a huge knock. But imagine then if Louisville beats them, uh, they're going to look a little less. And we just talked about that. and. Um, beating USC two weeks ago was more impressive than it is now after what happened with Utah. So USC in and of itself is, doesn't feel like the top 10 team, which was already on that border of feeling fraudulent heading into the Notre Dame game. I think we were all waiting to see which team ends up, you know, uh, uh, exposing USC and it ended up being Notre Dame. Um, there's some benefit in being that initial team, but then as each subsequent week goes, I don't think anyone would be shocked if USC had four losses or even more by the end of the season. Um, but yeah, that Ohio State game, 
was the most impressive, but for potentially some coaching errors and things like that. Not quite as bad as Miami in the in the Georgia Tech game, but you know, <laughs> they, thankfully we have <laughs> we have a game with Mario Cristobal who has set a, a, a such a ceiling that all the other coaching errors, yeah, they, they, you could do worse. You know, you, you could do worse. I'm going to be very interesting to see how they do against Pitt because wouldn't that be comedy if Pitt ended up being the giant killers <laughs> of the ACC and just starts knocking teams off that were ranked? I, I, I'd be very curious to see how that game, how that particular game <laughs> shapes up. But I agree, the rest of their schedule is is actually the worst part of their their candidacy because the, all the all the tough teams are now behind them, and some of them yeah. are not looking as strong as they had when they played. Well, and I think that this is one of those moments where not being in a conference and not getting a conference championship game probably does cost you quite a bit. And uh, so, unfortunately, Notre Dame, you're out. Uh, let's quickly go through LSU. So LSU, obviously a loss to Florida State in the opener. Florida State is a top five team. Doesn't really feel that bad. That road loss to Ole Miss was so dumb. Just so ridiculously dumb. And I don't think that any of us feel horrible about the loss but the issue is it's a second and they're six and two now so Bobic, what's the case i just want to say in the last 60 years only one team has won a national championship with two losses <laughs> and it was lsu <laughs> and in that year their two losses were to really bad unranked teams it was like arkansas and i believe um it was an overtime loss but neither of those teams were ranked by the end of the season and they managed to go through and win because they won the games that mattered. And this time losing to Ole Miss, we were just talking about Ole Miss earlier in the show. They ain't that bad of a team. They could go pretty far. So I don't want to put too much, I mean, I don't want to put too much stock into obliterating an army team that looks as bad as, I mean, almost looks as bad as the, the 2003 team, which was the first team to ever go 0-13. and 13. But I mean, so I, I'm going to be cautious about, about putting too much stock in, in last week's uh, last week's victory. But Jaden Daniels, he's a Heisman contending quarterback. He puts up insane numbers. You've got Malik Neighbors. You've got, you know, uh, Mason Taylor. You've got Logan Diggs as a running back. The defense can be problematic, but they have the offense to just make it up. In a way, I was kind of, when I was thinking about them, I'm like, this almost feels like last year's USC, except the defense, I think, is slightly better uh, than, than last year's USC. Um, and again, that schedule they have, Alabama is going to be the test, baby. If they can beat Alabama, then, okay, LSU is credibly in a conversation because then we would have that weird question of if they win out, suddenly you're like, well, that would be an interesting that would be an interesting choice from the SEC because while the SEC may not seem as strong, it's still the SEC. So we'll see where that goes. And by the way, I just want to say their, so their non-SEC game tucked in there, Georgia State actually is not as bad as it normally would be. They are a surprising team in the Sun Belt out there. So they do have a, a fairly interesting schedule to close out with, with uh, at Alabama, Florida, Georgia State, and whatever Jimbo is putting out on the field these days. Well, and, and if they win the game on November 4th, they're, they're off this week, but if they win the one against Alabama the next week, uh, then they're probably winning the SEC West and they're probably playing Georgia. So they'd have an opportunity to kind of do the Auburn thing where they beat Alabama and they beat uh, potentially Georgia in this scenario. And this is not the same as, uh, who were we talking about earlier, uh, beating Georgia, uh, Ole Miss. Like, this is not the same thing as asking Ole Miss to beat Georgia. Like, I think that LSU has proven that they can be a little more competitive than that. So I went into this thinking that there was no way that I'd vote yes for LSU. 
I don't know. Bobby, what, what's your thoughts? I am willing to see how they do against Alabama. That okay. is going to be the big question. So that means in two weeks. Right now, okay. they are still a two-loss team, and, and Alabama looks downright terrifying still. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm hesitant to vote them in right now, but uh, I will very much reconsider in a couple of weeks. I don't know what exactly happened in this poll, but 93% of voters voted against in this That was poll. remarkable. That, so, that was somebody was really mad yeah. at LSU. I mean, <laughs> even more than Liberty. Somebody was really mad at LSU. <laughs> no, that's more than Liberty. That's more than Notre Dame, who also has two losses. Like that's that's something else, man. That people do not want them there. And so you yeah. know what? I respect it. I respect it. I think I would have voted yes, but I think you're right. Waiting for that Alabama game is probably the right move because they have two legs that they have to take care of in order to make the playoff. They have to beat Alabama and they have to beat Georgia and then they need some things to go right. And at this point, they haven't done either of those legs. If they do one of those legs, maybe we can start to have the conversation. So I think that's probably the right move. We're going to close it out uh, two teams I'm going to combine, Air Force and Liberty. I think their cases are quite different. But, uh, you know, to start off with Liberty, 7-0 at this point, as is Air Force. Their schedule is just not there, like, at all. It's the <laughs> weakest and it's weakest of 133 teams. Wow. Before the season, they were the bottom of the, the ranking in terms of... Yeah. And I mean, because it's, 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 it's not a strong schedule in the least. And no. they've been struggling with it. Yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, I think going on the road, winning at Western Kentucky last week, that was pretty impressive. They, you know, they, they've they had some moments where they've looked really good. Caden Salter is a name that you need to know at quarterback if you're watching Wednesday Night Football. Actually, do they play on? No, they, they don't play until November 4th. They've already, uh, they've already played. Yeah, they played last night. That's right. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, my gosh. I can't keep track of this Conference USA story. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they, have the, they had a whole October where they played only on weekdays. It I was, love it. It was a remarkable schedule for, for how wacky it was. But give Conference. USA credit yes. for putting them on these days to get people to notice. Yeah, and, and it's working, by the way, if you look at the ratings. But, uh, but you know, Liberty, I think they are a really nice team. I think that even if they were to go 13-0 and win Conference USA, I, I don't even know if the schedule is strong enough to get them the New Year's Six bid. I think that's going to be no. the issue for them. If I'm Liberty right now, and obviously they're going to have an opportunity to, I think, be the premier team in Conference USA because their their athletic budget you got to get some of these bigger time games on the schedule, ones that are maybe a little winnable, ones that are lower tier power five teams, other top tier group of five teams. Because, uh, you know, th this year in, in non-conference play, it was Bowling Green. It was Buffalo who ended up being a little worse than I think we thought. I, I don't think we thought that was going to be such a bad game. You know, UMass, like that that's not going to get it done. So I think uh, Old Dominion, no, no longer in conference USA as well. You got to get a power five on there. You got to get a high group of five on there. And, and again, when they made this schedule, obviously they didn't know that it was going to be as good as, as maybe it's been, but do want to give a shout out to them. Obviously a really good first year in conference USA. And I think ahead of schedule, I, I don't think they have the schedule to, to yeah. make it happen. Air force. And I want to give some credit to Jamie Chadwell because he's yes. taking over that program. And I mean, yes. some of it was what Hugh freeze left him, but Jamie Chadwell can coach. And I have been absolutely bullish on him since he was at Charleston Southern, a team in the FCS that isn't that good. Yeah. That managed to climb their way into a playoff. So when Joe Mowgli hired him to mm -hmm. be his offensive coordinator and, and heir apparent, he was ready to take that job and, uh, and, and step up. So I give him credit for what he's done. But again, 
the game that that really made me realize that no nah, liberty even for this easy schedule is is going to be pushed to its limit was that Sam Houston game it was a home game and they it was it came down to the end against a and Sam Houston they just moved they're up spicy, man. their they're first spicy. FBS season they're the best winless team in America <laughs> i think maybe the only You're one left damn right but yeah but at the same time they keep getting really close cuz their defense will keep them in the game but their offense has absolutely nothing to go. So poor, poor Sam Houston. I believe they're playing tonight. I will not hear any disrespect for the spring 2021 national champions. <laughs> go Bearcats. I can't yeah. even spell it I was right. at no, that game. Kidding. I covered that I one. Found that was out it's one. based on a mythical Bearcat. It, 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 it's not because it's like the Bearcat like Cincinnati. They decided a mythical animal named yeah, the Bearcat sounds really tough. And that's why they spelled it the way they do. <laughs> Anyway, Sam Houston's not going to make our list either. Uh, Air Force, no. <laughs> a little bit more of an interesting case. You know, I think one of the things that's really let them down is that San Diego State, San Jose State, these teams have been a little disappointing, Utah State. Uh, but the win over Wyoming is a legitimately good win. They're number 19 in the country for a reason. They do have a road game against Boise State that I think will seriously get them into the conversation. Uh and UNLV, by the way, in the second to last game of the year as well. This is a team that uh, is already 6-1 and one and already in a bowl game. So, like, I think a, a notably more impressive schedule, although they also played Sam Houston in Week 2, beating them 13-3. to three. Uh, yes. Sam Houston's out there just nearly <laughs> knocking people off. It, it's a shame that this wasn't one of the Air Force years where they get, like, Colorado, because mm-hmm. I, I think that that would have been maybe the, the thing to get them over the top, right, is, like, People would have tuned in for that game. They would have seen this crazy offense that Air Force runs out there. They would have seen them potentially, you know, run all over them in a lot of ways. I can't quite get there for Air Force. I think that if they if they go 12-0, beat Boise State, uh, get Boise State or Wyoming again, like, that's probably still not enough. Uh, it, it should be oh. enough to get them the group of five bid. I do think that, uh, you know, depending on how the AAC shakes out, maybe Tulane will have a chance at that too. But Tulane, I'm, I'm wondering if Tulane might have that edge because their only loss is to yeah. Ole Miss and they didn't have their quarterback right. for that game. Right. So I think that I think that they probably need Tulane to to lose one more. But yeah. I mean, if they're 13-0 and and Tulane's 12-1, and I, I think they're just going to make a pretty compelling case for it. And uh, but yeah, I, I can't get there. I will say the 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 Twitter slash X voters did like them more than I expected. Forty point six percent voted yes on Air Force compared to only thirteen point six for uh, for uh, Liberty. So you know we we got some troops respecters uh, listening. And I just wanna I just wanna caution folks like Colorado State is their next game in Fort Collins, and Colorado State has been playing teams close. The UNLV had a fight for that sixth win against them. We all remember most people saw that wild overtime game of Colorado. You know, they beat a very they beat Boise State in close fashion. So Colorado State versus Air Force is actually going to be a very fascinating game this weekend if you're into seeing who those G5 contenders are. But quite frankly, I agree with you completely. This is just a battle to see who's going to be the New Year's six, um, the New Year's six member from the G5. This isn't a credible uh stretch for the college football playoff. So we are at a point now we've only got nine teams in our group. I will go to the polls. We got two teams that we mentioned in our first episode left. And we also have the ability to change our votes if we're in that position. Those teams are Missouri, which is seven and one, and Oregon State, which is six and one. These polls 
were so freaking close. 50.4% voted no for Missouri. 50.8% voted no for Oregon State. I voted yes for Oregon State and no for Missouri. You voted yes for Missouri, no for Oregon State. Would you like to change any of your votes? Boy, you know, and again, once again, I it I am doing the math on this. <laughs> Looking at the votes <laughs> for Mizzou, it was again one vote. It was it was 141 to 139. That's the only way that number c- crunches. <laughs> So again, and it wasn't even the same total number of votes. Oh my like gosh. There are, this is these are some these are some wild like we need a recount sort of situations here. You know, <laughs> they would trigger an automatic recount in most. In, like, do we need rank choice rank choice voting? I'm not sure. They got that in my town. I was actually gonna to jokingly make my first vote be a write-in ballot for Georgia just to see what the the people would think of when they're they're counting the ballots in the city council. But uh, going back to this. Um, I would be willing to give Oregon State the benefit of the doubt. Let, let's put them back into this conversation. I have decided, against all odds, I'm going to vote yes on Missouri as well. So <laughs> we have 11 teams in the field now. Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Alabama, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, and Missouri. How about that? That is a wild group. <laughs> especially at the back end. We've got some very uncontroversial teams and goodness gracious, do we have a couple of teams there that people are going to be like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, we thank all of you out there for helping build this list. (laughs) Imagine going into the year and hearing, we're going to have four teams in our conversation for the college football playoff from the PAC 12. And none of Mm -hmm. them are going to be USC. Well, I, I have a very cynical view as an alumnus of USC in the sense that I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. I think this is something that I got conditioned for under uh, Clay Hilton. So uh, I wouldn't be all that shocked, but I think most people would be. I think those who who haven't who haven't suffered through some years of just un- inexplicable decision making um, would be some more surprised than I. But I I have suffered. So uh, I I definitely can feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's our list. That takes us through 11 teams. Again, every single week, we have to vote somebody off. We can vote more on. We don't have to, by the way. We don't have to get up to 12. We don't have to add a team every single week, but we do have to kick one out every single week. So this is the 11 that we're starting with. And I'm excited. This is a this is a weird group, like you said, heading into the stretch run of the season. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun. It's going to be fascinating to see how this starts to get closer, especially once next week we see that initial vote, that initial, pardon me, uh, poll from the college football playoff. They're ranking, pardon me. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they place teams, particularly if which two lost teams get placed where in order to complete their picture and legitimize how they've ranked them and looking at the total, the total wins and losses and how they've won in a conversation, frankly, not unlike what we've been having uh, between us uh, today. So I think that's, that's a good way to stop. I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. I think I just wanted to take a second on behalf of both of us. I thank all of you who've been listening to this conversation. We enjoy it. We enjoy talking college football. As we've talked about, you have made a difference in the direction of this show. 
in some cases, just a single one of you. So if you voted on both of those polls uh, for, <laughs> for Texas and uh, and who was the other team? Oh, my goodness. It in was Missouri. Um, for Texas and Missouri, you, sir or madam, you are the one who has been the difference maker. So we invite you to join us. We invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a, a rating. We'd love that. At five stars, all the best. But also check out that Twitter account, uh, X account, whatever you want to call it, at CFB Survivor Show, and give us your thoughts. Give us your votes. We love hearing from you. We enjoy getting your feedback because you help determine. It makes you part of our conversation here at the College Football Survivor Show. So on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of Shehan Jayaraja, check out his writing at cbssports.com. We enjoy hearing from you. We'll catch up with you next week as we head into the exciting part when we're going to have that college football playoff ranking. And maybe, who knows, uh, Connor Stallions will give us some heads up on what's going on there. We'll see. TBD. But, all right, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you on behalf of all of us. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.